evening, friends. Hey, it's so good to be back with you guys. How are we doing tonight? You guys doing good? Did you all have a good day? Man, I'm so, yeah, what a joy to be with you all. Um, does it feel like the middle of the night to anybody else right now? Oh my goodness, you guys. It was like 5 o'clock today and the sun is going down and I'm like, oh my gosh, it feels like midnight. I am a, an early to bed, early to rise kind of person, so if in like 30 minutes you sort of see me drifting, like you just have to keep me in it. Let's go. There's a, a word that the Lord has for us tonight. Um, hey, we're going to be going back and continuing on in our, um, our sermon series through Jude. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Jude. We're going to be in uh, verses 17 through 23 tonight. But before uh, we read our text and we get into the word, just by way of reminder for those of you who are joining us maybe for the first time, right? So Jude is this epistle that was written to a church that was um, contending with heresy. There were these false teachers who had been um, sowing confusion and discord and doubt about the nature of Jesus. Um, and then Jude writes this letter basically just to clean up the whole mess and to get going. And y'all, it's like, it's been intense. Like literally, I, I've been sitting in my, my office um, multiple weeks over the last two months and I've read the text and I'm like, we're doing this, Lord. Okay. Are you, is, this, is this what we're doing? Is this what we're, we're preaching? Um, but it's been a joyful journey, right? I think the Lord has spoken clearly to us. I think he's given us some strong invitations. I think he's given us um, even an, an awareness about some of these like harder moments and harder texts about how we see actually the love of Jesus revealed through them. Um, but tonight, where we're at in the, in the narrative, in the process, in the stories, that Jude has just like ripped the false teachers to shreds, right? He's been a surgeon cutting with his knife, and now we're going to be shifting tone a little bit here. If you want to read with me in verse 17, we'll read through verse 23. Um, we'll pray and we'll go from there. And this is what the word of the Lord is for us tonight. Verse 17. But you must remember. But you must remember. Jude is talking to his people now. He's shifted from talking to the false teachers and now he's talking to his people. He says, but you must remember, beloved. The predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It's these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the spirit. It's these who cause division. Before we go on real quick, let me just say, if people can't unite, if you see people who are just dividing over everything, I just, that's a red flag. Be, be wary of people who don't have long-term friendships, Right? It is these who cause divisions, on to verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. I want to just, will you say that with me? Keep yourselves in the love of God. One more time, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Hating even the garment that's stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray tonight. Jesus, we come ready to receive. Lord, I am so grateful for even what you're doing in worship and how you're drawing our hearts to Jesus. Lord, even those, those words, worthy. Right? Worthy are you, God. You are the worthy one. Jesus, you are the worthy one. I pray that tonight, Jesus, you would be at center stage. 
that you would be the one who we see, who we witness. Lord, you would be the one who, uh, who we are enthralled by. I pray that tonight, Jesus, you and you alone would receive blessing and honor, glory and power here in our hearts, here at Young Adults, Jesus. So I pray that you would lead us. I pray, um, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, oh Lord. I pray this, Lord, and I ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all of young adults said, amen and amen. How many of you guys have ever had a major surgery before? A couple of us. So I, I really hadn't had a major surgery um, until I was in high school. And I got to the age of 18, and then I had to have this surgery. And what they did is they, like, sit you in a gurney, right, and you're, like, wearing kind of awkwardly loose clothes, and you're like, if a breeze comes in here, you're going to see everything, but that's okay, just kind of tie it in the back, and you're there, right, and I, I remember the doctor kind of walking me through what they were going to do, and he's like, we're going to put, like, anesthesia, and then you're going to, like, count down from 10, and then, like, you're not going to remember anything, it's going to be great, and I was just kind of nodding, I'm like, okay, and I remember them doing the anesthesia, and for whatever reason, I think anesthesia hits d different people differently, for me in that moment, I just felt an overwhelming sense of gratitude, an overwhelming sense of gratitude to the surgeons. And I, I remember, I actually remember tears running down my face. And I was like, thank you. I couldn't do this without you. Thank you. And in the moment, I was wondering, I was like, why are they laughing with each other? This is a big deal. And then the next thing I knew, right, I was waking up in the recovery room and my body was like stiff and I could barely move. Um, surgery is unnecessary, it is necessary. It's necessarily violent sometimes. Right? It involves cutting and removing, but it's something that has to happen in order for our long-term health and growth. Right? And so what we've seen in Jude thus far is that Jude was a surgeon with a surgeon's knife. And he was cutting precisely to address heresy that was happening in the church. But now what's just happened is with this one phrase, but you, beloved. Now we find ourselves in the recovery room. Right, because after surgery, you're in a recovery room. And I remember sitting there, right, and like you kind of come to, and then your body starts to hurt. And you're like, oh, good Lord Jesus, what happened to me? Like, oh my goodness. And then the nurse comes in, and she starts telling you about all the things you need to do. Right? And she starts telling you, okay, you need to take these pills at this time and do these motions. Maybe they'll give you like a physical therapy routine. Shout out to Keegan, my physical therapist friend. Yeah, what a guy, right? Maybe they'll give you a physical therapy routine, but they basically, they give you a, a prescription, as it were, in order to walk in life and in health. And it's something that if you neglect, you will not fully recover. So what we see in this text, this is a moment for Jude where he is giving us and giving, well, giving his people, but I believe us, um, a prescription for life. A prescription for what it looks like to walk in close connection with Jesus. I'm going to tell you what this is tonight. We'll talk about it for a moment. Jude's prescription is this. And we see this in the movement of the text. Jude's prescription is first to look back. And then to look in. And then to look out. Right? If you, if you even just notice this in the flow of the text. Right? He first says, remember, remember, look backwards. And then he says, keep yourself in the love of God. And then he says, save others, snatch them from the fire. This is the movement um, for a life with Jesus. Let me just say, um, before we really jump into some of this, um, I love about this is that Jude doesn't even think about the false teachers in this moment. Right? He says, hey, you don't even need to worry about, like, fighting against this thing anymore. 
all you need to do is to strengthen yourself. I think this is a word for some of us tonight, right? We get in this space where we're so outside focused that all of the things in the culture and the world, right, that are swirling and making it challenging and genuinely challenging to be a follower of Jesus today, right? We live in a world that's largely oppositional to the message of Jesus Christ. But I think in, uh, instead of looking outwards, the message for us in following Jesus faithfully is to say, how can I strengthen myself for a life of resilient discipleship to Jesus? Because the way forward for us and for you is going to be a life that's deeply rooted in King Jesus, right? Facing uh, and cultivating that vibrant life inside of you as opposed to um, being always forcefully oppositional to the things that are around you and that are outside of you. This tonight, I believe that this is a vision for us for formation. It's a vision for discipleship for us. Um, uh, over the months, right, I've had different questions, right, we talked a lot about the love of God over the summer. We talked a lot about, um, even earlier, like about things like repentance and like prayer. Um, these are all formational questions. Because the truth is that when we come to Jesus, we follow him, right, we turn to the cross. The Lord, um, he, he redeems us, he justifies us. But then we walk in a journey and our lives, they, they begin to look radically different than they used to. This is a journey called sanctification and formation and discipleship to Jesus. And so tonight, Jude is giving us an invitation into formation, an invitation into discipleship. So if you have ever wondered uh, what does it look like to follow Jesus faithfully, I'm hoping the Lord is going to encourage us a little bit tonight. So let's jump in uh, on this first point that Jude gives of this prescription. He says, look back, look back, right there in verse 17, it says, but you must Remember, you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that the very first thing that Jude says to these guys is that you need to look back, remember what the apostles said. But even in referencing back to the apostles, he wasn't saying like, oh, the apostles were these great guys. He was referencing back to the authority of King Jesus. He was saying that nothing that's happened to you thus far has been a shock to God. It all happened underneath the mighty hand of Jesus, right, who goes behind you, is behind you and goes before you and is all around you. He's saying, look back and remember who Jesus is. Remember the predictions. He wasn't surprised by this. Because when we look back, it contextualizes our current crisis in light of God's character, right? It takes the things that we're going through and that we're dealing with and it just like right sizes them next to God. It right-sizes them next to who God is. Let me give you two um, Old Testament examples of what this looks like. In Exodus verse 20, right, so this is God has just delivered a people, his people out of Egypt. Um, he's brought them to this mountain together. And they're basically in this more or less contractual, contractual excuse me, agreement about what it's going to look like for Israel to be God's people and God to be their God. And part of this, God just reveals all kinds of things about who he is and what he's like. And one of the things that he says is this, in Exodus 20, verse 2. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. If you read through the Old Testament, this phrase, guys, it shows up again and again and again, right? You'll hit the psalmist, or like the psalms, and the psalmist will be writing, and he says, you are the Lord our God who brought us out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, right? You'll see the prophets, and they'll talk to a moment, or have a moment about God, they'll say, you are the Lord our God. 
who brought us out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slaves. Sometimes they'll throw another analogy and say, out of the fiery iron furnace. I like that one. But what happened is that this phrase, right, it became a moment for them of who God is, of what he's like. God is the God who delivered us out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And what ended up happening is that every time throughout Israel's history, when an enemy opposed them, Right, when a foreign nation came in to enslave them, who was God? He was the one who had delivered them out of slavery, who had delivered them out of the land of Egypt, right? Anytime they faced a season of opposition, said, I am the Lord your God who delivered you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slaves. But it also works two ways. Because Israel multiple times was in a position not just to be the slaves, but to be the enslavers, right? And in those moments, right, what do they have in the back of their head? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, right, out of the iron furnace, right. So he's saying before you abuse the widow and the orphan and the foreigner in your midst, remember who I am. But as you face opposition, remember who I am. Fast forwarding on even through Israel's history, we see two different moments in Israel's history um, where they make a big pile of rocks and they just kind of leave it there. Right, one is when they first come into the land of Egypt or land of Israel. Excuse me. Um, they cross the Jordan River and they make this pile of stones. And Joshua says, "Let this be a, a testament, something that you tell your children about of what God has done." Fast forwarding on, there's a prophet Samuel who came just before the kings of Saul and David, and he's leading. Um, he's leading Israel, and they pray, they cry out to God because they're being oppressed by the Philistines, and God delivers them. And so what they do is they make this pile of stones, and it's called an Ebenezer. And what it means is they say, thus far the Lord has helped us. Thus far the Lord has helped us. For them it was a moment that they could look back to, that they could point back to and say, God did this. God was faithful. The God that we serve is a God who delivers us out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. And he's a God who delivers me when the enemy is coming to oppress me and to tear me down and to destroy me. One of the most pivotal portions of your formation and discipleship to Jesus is grabbing on to the Ebenezers in your life. Let me say, and just even ask, what, what are the moments in your life when God has been faithful? What are things that God has done, y'all? I can remember and I think about this often. I remember the moments of my life that God brought me out of darkness and he brought me into light. I remember moments when I cried out to the Lord because I didn't know the right way to go. And he actually told me the right way to go. I remember moments, right, being in like a, a health crisis or a moment where um, people are, are suffering around me. And what do you do? Where do you go? You turn to the Lord and say, Lord, will you help me? And he did and he has. Let me just tell you, we serve a God who is faithful. What are the moments in your life that you can point back to? What are those moments for you? I want to throw a picture up here. About 11 years ago, over there in the tent, that's me in the middle if you can't tell, um, I, I, I got baptized. I gave my life to Jesus. That guy there on the left side of the screen is my older brother. The guy on the right was the youth pastor at the time, a guy named John McDonald. There have been moments in the 11 years since this photograph was taken where following Jesus was not the easiest path forwards where it was not the most convenient path forwards. 
where it would have been easier to do almost anything else. But in those moments when there's tension and there's struggle, right, I look back to this moment and I say, there was a moment of my life when I went into the waters of baptism and I consecrated my life to Jesus. And no matter how hard it is in this moment, I am not, I'm not going anywhere because of what has happened in the past. Let me ask you, what do you remember? Where has God been faithful to you? Let me just say, I, I recognize even in a room this size, there are some of us who that feels really easy, right? You're like, I heard God speak to me yesterday, right? And I laid hands on someone and they were healed, praise God. Right? And I had like a, like, like you, you just, your life is overflowing with God's faithfulness, praise God. But there are some of us also in this room, right, who are finding ourselves in really, really challenging situations, right? Where maybe you didn't get the job or maybe like you're walking through a challenging relational dynamic or there's sickness in your body or there's, there, there are things right now when you look back and you say, I, I can't situate myself. I can't situate myself underneath the faithfulness of God. Let me tell you, if that's you, then the fact that you're in this room and the fact that you're coming to be with the people of God is the, is the answer and is the way forwards. Because we don't live our lives in a vacuum. If you look at your life and you can't find um, a moment where God was faithful... I promise you the person sitting next to you can. Or the person on the other side of the room can. And I promise you as you open the, the words of this book and as you read who God has been, it will cultivate and strengthen your faith. I promise that as you look back over the course of Christian history, right, you'll find stories of faithful men and faithful women who walked with the Lord their entire life. And of moments, right, where they, uh, they were faithful, where God was faithful to them. So here's... Here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of break the mold a little bit. You ready? See how this goes. I have no idea how this will go. Um, what I want you to do, I want you to take 15 seconds. And I want you to bring to mind something that the Lord has done for you. A moment where he has been faithful to you. Let me give you an example. Um, for me, uh, just the, an easy one that's coming to mind. About two and a half years ago, two years ago, um, Ellie and I were processing through like a decision of where should we be, should we, should we try to like move and push on other job opportunities, and we didn't know, we had no wisdom, but what we did is we asked the Lord and he spoke to us and he led us faithfully, right, and so in a moment of confusion, the Lord brought clarity, and that's who he is. So what I want you to do, you all have a story in your mind, some of us have a story in our mind, I want you to turn to the person next to you and I want you to share that story for literally 30 seconds, okay? I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you the mic and, and promise that you're going to give it back. So turn to the person next to you. If you're sitting alone, this is a great opportunity to meet the person next to you. So slide, scooch, do what you got to do, say their name, introduce yourself, and then tell where God was faithful.
All right, first person talking, take like five more seconds and then trade. Take ten more seconds. Bring it on back, bring it on back, bring it on back. I know that I cut like 50 of you off in the middle of your conversation. And I'm super okay with that because here's what I want you to promise me. If I stopped you in mid-conversation, I want you to finish that conversation with that person after service is done. I love this, friends. I love that you're getting to know each other, right? Because here's the thing, is when we cultivate an environment and an atmosphere where we're talking all about what God has done, it just like raises the water level of faith in the room, right? It's like all of a sudden I have expectation, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, like this person, like God, like paid for their groceries last minute. Y'all, I just heard a story this last week where this guy didn't have the money in the bank to pay the mortgage that was due that day, and he tithed, okay, on the money that he had in the bank, and then some dude knocked on his front door and gave him a $500 check. Like, good grief, God is good, right? Like, it just like raises the level of expectation, right? God is on the move. He's present and he's faithful. Because when we look back, it actually fuels us forwards into present victory, right? Looking back is not just about living in the past, but it motivates us for what God is doing today, right? Let's go to Revelation 12, verse 11. This is, and they, this is the, the followers of the Lamb, have conquered him, this is the enemy, the devil, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Y'all, every spiritual conflict that you walk in victory over, every real world opposition that you walk in victory over, has its success rooted in a moment 2,000 years ago when Jesus went to the cross and then over the course of your life as he was faithful to you. Right? Every present victory comes as the fruition of a life of faithfulness where God has been faithful to you. Right? We look back in order to move forwards. And then last on this is that looking back lets us walk in confidence in a chaotic world. Y'all, our world feels a little chaotic at times. But when you look back, you start to remember and to realize that there were moments when it was chaotic in the past, but God was good. And when God was faithful, and if God was faithful then, then he will be faithful now. Can someone say amen? amen. Thank you. This is the first time I've ever asked for that. That felt good. Mm. <laughs> All right. First, look back. Look back. Next is that we look in. We look in. And even if I uh, had been a little more forward thinking, I probably would have added something to this. We don't just look in, but in looking in, we also look up. Right? We don't just look in for meaning and purpose and value, but we look up to God, right? So we see this phrase, I had you repeat it a number of times. This is back in verse um, 19, 20, it's in verse 20, no, 21, sorry. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God, right? Because after Jude says, but you remember, beloved, he shifts and now he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. What I love about this is that Jude holds in mystery whose role it is for us to be in the love of God. 
Because if you go to the beginning of the book, he talks about, he says, those who are kept by God for Jesus Christ. And then right here he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then we get to the end of the book, he says, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Our abiding in the love of God is a partnership between you and by the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership, it's a co-laboring, it's something that we both do. God gives the grace, right? God is the divine initiator. God is the one who primarily reaches out. But here's what I'll say, is that I, I think it's possible for us to remove ourselves from the love of God. And it's possible for us to step in and to keep ourselves in the love of God. I think this is what Jude is saying here. You are a primary agent in keeping yourself in the love of God. God has given you uh, the ability to partner with him to cultivate a vibrant inner life with Jesus. Um, this is something that we get to do. This is the invitation of the Holy Spirit and of Jesus for us, is that we get to work to cultivate a dynamic inner life. Um, I was kind of reflecting. I think the human heart is something like a refrigerator. And here, here's why. That might sound weird, right? But it's, it's something that you use every day. Right? I go to my fridge every morning and I like pull out eggs um, and it's something that is just there in the middle of your life and like you don't always like pay attention to it. It's just something you kind of take for granted, right? Like your heart, your inner world, your inner space, right? Like some of us, some of us maybe are very self-aware, but I'll speak for myself. Occasionally I can go days and be like, oh, what am I feeling? Like I just need to take a sec. Sometimes we just don't even uh, pay attention. But then lastly is that when we don't do a good job of cleaning it out, things like start to grow in the back corners. Y'all, this was like two, three weeks ago. You're probably going to judge me, but this is a safe space. Uh, I hope. Um, uh, we, were, we were cleaning. Ellie and I were like, all right, we're going to clean the house. We're going to get going. This is going to be good. Um, and the, we rolled the lots, and the lot fell to me to clean the refrigerator. And I was like, oh, boy, all right, here we go, right? And they're like sticking on gloves and going in and opening it up. And the thing about refrigerators is you don't realize how filthy they are until you start cleaning them, right? It's like I pulled out a sponge, and I, like, cleaned it. And then it's like you see the clean glass that you just cleaned, and then the rest of it is, like, covered in gunk, and you're like, oh, no, this is bad. <laughs> this is going to be bad. And I distinctly remember, okay, it's like you're working, you work from the outside in. And so the outside, you're like, this is going to be fine. About five minutes in, you're like halfway through, and you're like, this is a little less fine. And then you get to like the very back corners, and you're like, this is not fine. This is not fine. And you start finding Tupperwares with things in it. You're like, I cannot discern what used to be in this. And I remember this moment. I looked at it, and I said, I don't know what food this is. And in that moment, right, we all know the conundrum. You can either open it up and clean it. Or you can be a coward like me and throw it in the trash can. So that's the easy way out. But we, we, if we don't cultivate and if we don't clean the edges out of our hearts, they get nasty. They get nasty. An image that the Bible uses to talk about our inner world with the Lord is a garden. Right? Song of Solomon says that it uses a garden to describe the place where we connect with the Lord. Um, and there are things about the garden that we can cultivate Right? Like we can invest our time, our energy, our effort in making parts of our relationship with Jesus beautiful. But there are other things that can come in and can sabotage our connection with the Lord when we allow them to. And so tonight, right, as a primary agent of our hearts and of our relationship and our connection with Jesus. Because let me, let me say one thing on that as well. Um, in the era that we live in, 
right? We live in an era where the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church. We are the temple of God. You may have heard that language before. What that means is that in the past, God rooted himself residentially in Israel in a temple that today God roots himself personally amongst his people. And so that in the era of the spirit, right, when Jesus isn't walking around in bodily form, the primary place that we connect with God is in the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is your heart and is yourself. That doesn't mean that we look in and, like, we discover God inside. I'm not saying, like, like there's, um, there are, like, twisted truths, right? Even you look around at, like, other faith traditions and, like, transcendental meditation. It's all about, like, I'm going to look in and find that I am actually one with the divine that is everything and everywhere and permeates the world. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that God, who is separate than you, by the power of Jesus on the cross, has deigned you um, a, a worthy residence for his Holy Spirit. That he comes in and he gives you the gift of his presence and you get to enjoy him and experience him by cultivating a vibrant life on the inside. Jude gives us three ways on how to do this. Just the three verbs that he uses in this, in this portion. He says three things. First, building yourselves up. He says building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Second, he says, praying in the Holy Spirit, prayer and praying. And then third, he says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at these three things and even say, what he's saying? How do we cultivate love on the inside, keeping ourselves in the love of God? Number one, building. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. This, what he's getting at here is that we can actually do things to strengthen our relationship with the Lord. And this is a really broad category, right? There are tons of things we can do. We can study the word. We can engage in prayer. We can do what you're doing now and come into community and in worship and in fellowship. But I want, what I want to say about this is that there is always more for you in the way of building yourself up in your most holy faith. I remember this moment. Are there any, is anyone 18 or 19 in the room? Yes, I love it. A couple of us. I remember very distinctly being 18 years old. And I was like, y'all, like, like, I was 17 when I got baptized. I was like, like, fiery for Jesus. I remember, like, I was, like, leading prayer meetings and, like, doing all this stuff. I was driving home and, like, I don't know if you've ever done something and you're, like, you're, like, you're driving home and, like, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. You know, you're like, yeah, I did a great job. I'm, I'm pretty great. Like, the Lord, the Lord is, um, <laughs> man, the Lord is lucky. The Lord is lucky to have me. As you're driving. And I remember, I remember driving thinking this. And I was like, you know what? I don't even think there's anything else I can learn about Jesus. Like, I got it. And I remember actually thinking that. And it was almost like in the background, you know, like, like, like the sober boom, 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 boom. Like, I remember like feeling that a little bit and being like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Right? And I immediately repented. And I was like, Jesus, please don't, let me, don't make me learn the hard way. I know. I know. I know. Right? But over these last 11 years, he's revealed to me that you're so. There's so, and, and frankly, friends, he just keeps on getting better. Oh, y'all, like the love of God today is so much better than the love of God 11 years ago. And I believe that the love of God in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years is just going to keep on getting sweeter. And so the invitation for us is to continue building ourselves up in our most holy faith. If you're here in this moment and you don't really know what that means, you're just exploring faith in Jesus, here's what I would say is that you need to start with who Jesus is, right? Start with the gospel of Jesus, that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, incarnate of the Virgin Mary, who came, lived a sinless life, 
right, proclaimed the kingdom of God, bore our sins, our wrongdoings, the thing that bring death in his own body on the cross, that he was murdered as a criminal, that he was laid in a tomb for our sin, but then that God raised him up from the dead for our justification. Start there. But then if you've, if you've gotten there and you're not really sure where to go, I would, I would invite you, ask Jesus for hunger. Ask Jesus for hunger. And y'all, it's in the room. I feel it. I feel it in you. Like as we're up here singing and like I hear your voices coming up, you guys, like a generation of young people who are fully in love with Jesus, right, who have looked at the world and said, I'm not going to compromise myself for the lesser things, but Jesus is mine and I am his. This is something that honors God, that like gets him giddy. Like, like it's in the room. Ask Jesus for hunger. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Second is praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. In order to live a life of love, you must cultivate a dynamic friendship with the Holy Spirit. There's just no way to have a life of love where you're not intimately connected with the Holy Spirit. We talked about the Holy Spirit a little bit ago, right? That he is God who comes with us. Have you guys ever heard the phrase Emmanuel before? Right? So this is all about like Christmas season, incarnation. Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And I don't think this is, I've I've really thought about this. Like I don't think this is heretical, so I'm going to say it. But if I'm wrong, you can come talk to me. I think that, that today the Holy Spirit is Emmanuel, right? That Jesus, Jesus has ascended to God the Father and he sent his Holy Spirit to live among us, to reveal God to us, to be God with you, in you, moving through you and for you. You must cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And even in prayer, right, prayer is just conversation. Prayer is conversation with God. We're not going to take too long on this because here in a couple weeks, Um, We're going to be jumping into Advent, but then in the new year, we're actually going to be spending a whole series, you guys, talking about uh, spiritual disciplines, how to cultivate a life of prayer. So we're going to talk a lot about this. And then lastly is waiting, waiting for the mercy which will be uh, revealed. Um, We talked all about this last week. So again, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, right? If If you're curious, go back and listen last week. We talked all about what it looks like to live our lives in light of the day of the Lord coming. So we're waiting, right, we're waiting. But here's something I wanted to say. I don't think most of us in this room, I, I won't say that. I think there are some of us in this room who look forward to the future with excitement and with hope. But I think if you look statistically speaking at what we're seeing in in your generation, our generation, right, like 18 through 20s to early 30s, is that most of us have a sense of impending dread when we look to the future. Right, like we're those who were in high school or college when COVID happened, right? And we're just like chilling one day and we leave for spring break and then all of a sudden we don't go back to school for six months, right? Like there are those of us in this room who like, you didn't, you didn't have a high school graduation because of COVID. There are those of us in this room like you didn't actually get to sit with your friends for like months. And then when you all came back together, like it was weird and awkward and like just figuring out how to re-relate, like... Like, I think some of us in this room genuinely, like, like, you're here and you're just waiting for the next foot to fall. You're like, what is the next thing that's going to happen? And I believe that the word of the Lord for us tonight is that in Jesus, we can look forward with a sense of hope. 
not confident that we're never going to have a bad day, but confident that the end of the story is going to be God's mercy revealed to us and to you. So hear me. If, you, if you're wrestling with a sense of hopelessness tonight, if you're wrestling with a sense of despair or discouragement tonight, I want you to hear the word of Jesus for you. It is not the end of the story. It's not the end of your story. It's not the plan that he is working in you and through you. He has plans to prosper you, not to tear you down. His intention is for life for you. Goodness and mercy are following you today and will follow you tomorrow and the day after and the day after. And then ultimately one day Jesus will set the story right. We cultivate a life of love. We keep ourselves in the love of God. When we do these things, we build ourselves up. We pray in the Holy Spirit. We wait for the love of God. We learn to say the words, right, of the, uh, the 1800s hymn, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus," right? Just to take him at his word, to rest on his promise, and to know, thus saith the Lord. Right, second point is we look in, we look up. Our final movement, way that we are formed in the image of Jesus is that we look out. We look out. Um, Jude says this, right? He says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others, bouncing forward a little bit. He says, to others, show mercy with fear. Um, this, dry, this makes me think of Mark chapter 12, right? There's this passage where Jesus is dialoguing with the Pharisees and the teachers of law, and they're testing him. They, one of them comes and he says, Lord, what is the greatest of all the commandments in the Old Testament? And he looks at him and he says, this is the great commandment. He says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Keep yourself in the love of God. It says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. This last movement is the love for those around you. And I think we cannot rightly say that we're in the love of God until that love spills over into love for others. The only way that we know that we've experienced the love of God is that we love other people. John says this in 1 John, right? He says, how can you say that you love God who you've never seen when you don't love your brother who you have seen? So what we get to do is we get to practice the love of God as we love other people. And so what I want to do is just kind of synthesize what Jude said in these three different movements, right? Because he starts and he says, okay, have mercy, have mercy on those who doubt. And then he goes on, he says, save others, snatching them out of the fire. Do others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. I've kind of synthesized this into a sentence that we're going to work through. Um, it says, first of all, is that we must be those who, in love, we have to, all outreach, all movement towards another person has to be in love. I think sometimes we forget this. Um, and I'll say, even just like honestly, like occasionally this is, this is challenging for me. Right, sometimes like I can be in um, like the grocery store um, or like going about my life and I feel the urge or like, like, oh God, like maybe I should like go do something and like love on this person or talk to this person. And I immediately feel, instead of love, I feel scared. <laughs> right, and I'm like, I don't know if I want to do that. Like, can't I just get my cheers and go home? Um, but like, but, but, but the invitation of Jesus is to press into love. Because he loves that person, and that's why he wants to reach out to them, is because he loves them. So we have to do everything in love. We are those who, in love, we show deep kindness to the weak. Right? He says, right, in verse um, 22, have mercy on those who doubt. Let me just say, if you're in this room and you're having doubts, 
If you're finding yourself doubting whether Christianity is the worldview that's true or is right, if you're finding yourself wondering if Jesus loves you, right, about any of these things, doubts, questions, um, I'm so glad that you're here. And let me just say that this is actually, um, my, my prayer is that this would actually be a really safe space to ask those questions. We need spaces where we can ask hard questions. Y'all, I've sat over the last month with two men. Um, they're both in their 40s. Um, they were both raised in the church. And they both in the last handful of years have had crises of faith because they felt like there were questions they had about the Bible, about the nature of God, uh, about miracles, about hearing God's voice that they couldn't ask in church. Because they felt like they would be judged and they would be put down if they asked questions. Let me just say this, like, y'all, if Christianity is true, it should stand up to your questions. Like, and if it can't, like, then why are we doing this? <laughs> like, just, just honestly, right, just honestly. And so if you're here tonight and you're, and you're in a space of doubting, like, welcome to the club. Like, we want to talk to you. Like, I would love to talk to you. That would be a joy for me. Because here's the thing, right, is that w even though Christianity doesn't give, like, 100% answers 100% of the time, it invites us into a dynamic journey of faith which is not devoid of understanding and of reason, right? We, we understand by faith, and we also understand by what we see around us. But we, we are intensely kind to the weak. That is who God is asking us to be. Let me say this. If we're loving people like Jesus loves them, um, then people should usually leave your presence with a deep sense um, of your affection for them. And even that you enjoy them, right? Like, and if you're with somebody and, like, you actually aren't liking them at all, like, Change your face, right? Like, like, like help them, like, like, love them. Love the people that you don't like very much. Jesus has a lot to say about that. So we're those who show deep kindness to the weak, and we speak saving truth to the lost. We speak saving truth to the lost. We live in a really weird part of history right now, I think, where we're like our modern secular age. Secularism will tell you that um, following Jesus is good as long as you only do it on the inside, as long as it just stays on, like, the inside of your mind, and as, if, like, if, if you don't talk to other people about it, like, that's fine, like, Jesus is good for you, like, I'll do what's good for me, they'll do what's good for them, and we've, we've bought this lie, I think, that is from culture, that me communicating and communicating truth in, uh, uh, with somebody's good in mind is actually an unloving thing. Let me just say is that telling someone truth in love is actually the most loving thing that you can do. The most loving thing that you can do. Y'all, I was reading this statistic. Something like 47% of millennial Christians in the church think that you shouldn't share your faith with other people because it's offensive and because it like ruffles feathers. Let me just say that that's horrifically unloving. If we're people who believe that God has put his spirit inside of us and that the way of Jesus is the only way of life and the way that Jesus is the only way to God, then we are actively, we are actively hating our neighbor when we don't tell them the truth. God has invited us to speak truth, but to speak it in love, right? We're not called to be like the Westboro Baptist Church that just shouts like the Bible at people, right? That's unloving, 100%. The truth in Love, and then this last movie says, and keep ourselves clean from sin. He says, to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment that's stained by the flesh. Let me just kind of say as we begin to conclude kind of this whole thing, is that your 
your formational journey to Jesus, learning what it looks like to walk as a disciple of the Lord, um, you will never be, be fruitful in ministry to the world around you if your life looks exactly the same as the world around you. I think sometimes we can kind of blur some lines, right, and say like, oh, like I'm just going to, uh, like I'm going to listen to this kind of music so I've got things to talk about with my friends, right? Or I'm going to go to these parties. I'm not going like, to drink and have sex, but I'm going to just be there in case anybody's interested. And, and now, like, you, you might have that grace. And I'm not like, I don't know, I'm, it's late. <laughs> I'm not giving you a black and white thing here. But what I am saying is that if your lifestyle, if, if I can't look at your life and be like, wow, like they're living a life that's consecrated unto the Lord, then you're probably not walking with Jesus. You're, you're probably mixing together Christian spirituality and the love of the world. And let me just say, at the end of the day, if there's a mixture, the love of the world will, will pull away your love for Jesus. You'll, you'll be like um, one of those, um, those plants in Jesus' parable that grew up among the thorns and they were choked out by the worries and the riches and the cares and the luxuries of life. And you'll come to the end of your days and you'll be unfruitful. God wants you to be fruitful. And now, this isn't, doesn't, this isn't a sense of living with fear, but this is, be careful, friends. Right? Keep diligent, attentive care of your heart. Walk clean. Because when we walk clean, we actually love the world around us. If the band can come on up at this point. Um, here is my... Here's my only concern. My only concern with a message like this is that we can hear this, right, and we can hear, okay, look back. Okay, so I need to, like, have a list of things that God has done. Look in. Okay, I need to be doing all these things diligently. Look out. Okay, I need to be evangelizing the world around me. Um, and, and I think we can sometimes feel overwhelmed where you're like, you're like, dude, aren't you, like, the paid Christian up on stage? Like, you should do that. But, like, <laughs> but like, I'm, like I, I, that's, that's not for me. That's not for me. <laughs> Let me just say this. Um, when you begin to do anything, you're probably not going to be very good at it. Like, I remember when Ellie and I first got married. Um, it's, like, it's like you're in the same house and you're, like, trying to figure out. It's like this awkward dance of, like, okay, where do the dishes go? Like, and how do we put them into the dishwasher? And, like, your parents did it this way and my parents did it this way. And it, it wasn't super tense for us um, because Ellie knows that I'm right and so it was great. No, no, that's not true. That's not true. Um, um, but, but, we, but it's a dance, and it's awkward, right? Like, I remember, um, like, athletes in the room or people who are going to school, learning a new subject, or, like, musicians. Donica, was the violin easy the first time you did it? She doesn't even remember. Wow, from the cradle, okay. <laughs> Donica was a bad example, everybody. <laughs> Here's what I'm saying, is that the way of Jesus is one that we grow into. And where you are today is not where you're going to be tomorrow. And is not where you're going to be in six months and in a year. And Lord willing, we're going to continue to grow in the way of Jesus until we die. It's a way of faithfulness. It's a way of endurance. It takes time. It's not for super Christians. Let me just say this as well. Is that your ultimate end when you think about 50, 60 years down the line, it's, it's one that's, that's going to be based upon small degrees of change, small degrees of trajectory. I think about when I was in high school, I had a really, really close group of friends. There were three of us. And we would get together, and none of us were walking with the Lord. And so you can imagine what three high school guys not walking with the Lord would do. 
and we would be together. And but over time, we started making minor different decisions, right? And over time, literally two of us became pastors because God is faithful. And then our other friend is like as far away from the Lord as you can imagine. But we all started in the same place. The way of Jesus is one where we, we pay attention to the incremental daily rhythms of what we're doing. And it's not one that you get good at all at once. We walk and we learn faithfulness to Jesus. And as a community, right, as New Life Young Adults together, I believe this is what the Lord is inviting us into. He's inviting us to live a life of formation, of discipleship, where we commit ourselves to walking faithfully before God, arm in arm with one another as long as Jesus allows us to. And so the invitation tonight, right, we can... Um, I trust that, that the Holy Spirit has been speaking and that there are, there are things that he's highlighting to you for your life. But I think the invitation is just a, uh, an orientation of a yes. It's just, do, do you want to go on this journey with Jesus? Do you want to say yes to taking the next step as a community? I think that's really it. It's just, it's just giving Jesus permission and saying yes and then following him where he leads us. Because he's a good shepherd. He's going to lead you. He'll show you what this means and what this looks like for your life. If you want to stand with me tonight. Uh, if, that's, if that's you, if you're in, if you want to say yes to this, I'm not even sure. Let's just hold our hands out. This is, just a, this is just an invitation of saying, God, we need you. And we say yes. And so King Jesus, I ask that you would lead us, that you would give us grace to walk with you, grace to follow you. Would you give us um, would you give us the grace to walk in these movements that you laid out, to remember where you've been faithful, to dig into keeping ourselves in the love of God and then to love other people out of that place. We just say yes. We say yes to the journey. We say yes to your hand. And we say yes to your work, Jesus. We love you. All of young adults said amen and amen. Let's worship our way out tonight, friends.